I am so really thrilled to start a series about 1 Timothy, through the book of 1 Timothy. And somebody asked me last week, they said, so we're going to go through the book of 1 Timothy. Well, isn't that, a, isn't that a pastoral epistle? Isn't that one of the books that Paul wrote to a pastor? Why do we need to hear that? Most of us aren't going to be pastors. Well, we're going to cover that in a minute. But really in 1 Timothy, we see that there's a blueprint for a healthy church. So we wanted to talk about how to build a healthy church. Now, during Paul's fourth missionary journey, Paul writes this letter, really, to Timothy, who was left pastoring the church in Ephesus, okay? So when you see the book of Ephesians, that was really to the church. Paul, or Paul wrote to Timothy, who was actually pastoring at this time the church in Ephesus. And Paul went on to Macedonia and kind of, kind of left Timothy there. When Paul realizes that he may not ever get back to Ephesus, at least, at least for quite some time, if ever, he writes this letter to give Timothy some, some very clear instructions about refuting false teachers, how to set up and order the church, other areas of, of this growing Ephesian church, like areas of worship and areas of, of how to appoint qualified leaders in the church and all these kinds of things that he covers in this letter. But today we're going to talk about keeping the faith. Keep the faith. Because Paul's main point in these first few verses really is to keep and protect the faith that had brought salvation to the Ephesians. Now that sounds like pretty reasonable advice, and it kind of sounds obvious, doesn't it? Hey, keep, keep clinging on to the thing that saved you. But we'll see here in a few minutes that the early church struggled with protecting the truth, just as churches today struggle with protecting the truth. And I would say at times, even our church may struggle to protect the truth, and I'll talk about that as we go on. But as always, let's read God's Word, see what it says, uh, refer back to it, because it, of course, is our authority. And so let's read 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1-11. through 11. This is what Paul writes to his friend Timothy. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, and a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted." 
So we see here, it gives them some pretty strong words, but let's look at just the first 11 verses here today and see that the first principle is this. Timothy is Paul's true son in the faith, pastoring in Ephesus. I want you to know that, I want you to see that, and I want to make several observations about these first two verses. We see here again in verses 1 and 2, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now let me make several observations here. First of all, this is clearly not meant to be a private letter. How do I know that? Well, if Paul were writing a personal letter that he never meant to be shared or seen by anyone else, he might have started this way. Hey, Timmy, this is your bro Paul, right? I mean, if you're writing a personal letter... You're not going to give your, your pedigree and tell them who you are and what authority you have. You're not going to do that. He would have never stated his title. He would have never defended it with the authority of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. Paul either wanted or expected this to be shared. And it's as though he's writing to Timothy knowing that the church would kind of be looking over his shoulder as he read it. It'd be like me getting a letter from a, a pastor friend of mine and, and I stand up here and I read it in front of the congregation. Oh, it might be to me specifically, but it's really for everyone else. Why is that important? Well, Paul, and better yet, God himself, meant this to be normative, which means just to be shared and read by many churches, read and understood more, by more than just pastors, but by everyone. While he's technically giving pastors instructions, he wants everybody to know these things because we're going to see that the things he's asking pastors to do, we cannot do alone. It needs the whole church to be a part of it. That's why this is as applicable for you, the congregation, as it is for us as pastors. But Paul does defend his apostleship with the authority of God in this passage. Paul makes it clear that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is our hope. We'll talk about this hope more specifically in a few moments. But it's hope that comes from Jesus Christ himself. Now, Paul calls Timothy his true child in the faith. What does that mean? What does it mean? Timothy came from Lystra, uh, which is where modern-day uh, modern Turkey is. And uh, he had a background where his mother was a Jewish Christian, but his father was a Greek pagan. So kind of a mixed marriage there. And his father was an unbeliever. Now, this title of true son means that Paul probably led Timothy to Christ himself, or at a minimum, was perhaps the greatest spiritual influence on him. But, but he probably led him to Christ. We don't know that for sure, but when he calls him a true son, a spiritual son in Christ, he probably led him to Christ. Now, that's not uncommon, because there's almost always this spiritual connection that continues our whole life with those that we lead to Christ and those we disciple. The reality is, folks, I still have a, a connection to the man that led me to Christ, even though he doesn't know who I am. I, I have a very strong connection even to my youth pastor who really took me under his wing and discipled me, who taught me how to know and love God, how to read God's word, how to, how to study God's word, how to be a part of the church how to fulfill my uh, purpose and mission in life. He taught me all those things, and he is uh, one of my true spiritual fathers. 
and I will uh, uh, be indebted to him till the day I die. He's now a pastor in Hot Springs, Arkansas, at a very large uh, Southern Baptist church there, and, and I call him from time to time. We're friends on Facebook. We see what our families are doing. We talk from time to time. I call him for advice if I need it, and uh, uh, we just have a great relationship. Folks, it's important that we appreciate those who have invested in us. It's important that we do that. And, and, and Timothy, uh, you know, Paul's saying, hey, dude, you are my true son in the faith. There is a connection between those that you lead to Christ, yourself, uh, that really time does not overcome. And so Paul's writing here. He's saying, you know, man, we are, we are, we're, you're my true son in the faith. I, I've invested in you. I've, I've spent time with you. Uh, Paul invited Timothy to go with him on this, his second missionary journey after meeting him. And he even circumcised Timothy so that his Greek heritage would not be a hurdle when evangelizing and discipling the Jews. Now, that's a close friend, right? Okay. Now, I don't have any friends quite that close. But this is the relationship these guys had, that they were willing to do whatever it took to together minister the gospel to those who were far from God. While Timothy was not an apostle, he was connected to Paul's ministry team and was part of Paul's apostolic ministry most of his life. Paul offers Timothy grace, mercy, and peace from God himself. As though he were reminding him that even as a pastor, even as a pastor, do not forget that you are connected to God and doing his work only, only because of God's grace, because of God's mercy, and with God's peace that only God himself can give. It's crystal clear why Paul would call Timothy his true son in the faith, because he invested really his whole life in him and administered with him. Then out of all the instructions that Paul could give first to the church, as he's writing to the church, he's, he's got this uh, presence now, this connection with Timothy, and he says, okay, now I'm going to talk to you about things that are concerns in the church. Here is number one, protecting the teaching of the truth. He says, Timothy, protect the teaching of the truth. More important than whether or not you have bulletins, more, or not, more important or not about what kind of music you do, more important than everything else that happens, more important than every program you have, more important than every single thing that goes on in a church, protect the teaching of the truth. Wow. Look at verses 3 and 4. So as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Number one instruction, don't teach something new or different. Don't teach something new or different. Listen, the truth about Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news, is what had saved them. It's what gave them a commonness and a fellowship that went way beyond being friends. It's the truth that gave them common purpose and reason for ministry together. And Paul's saying, Timothy, don't let them teach anything that's different. I think it's interesting, he uses the word, I urge Timothy to stay in Ephesus. Now, Timothy kind of wanted to go. We see in other writings that Timothy wanted to go with Paul. 
But Paul urged him to stay behind in Ephesus in order to protect the teaching of the truth. I think it's notable here, especially for those of you who want to be leaders or are leaders, I think it's notable that Paul did not command him or demand from him, but he simply urged him. Now this is great leadership on Paul's part, and it's excellent followership and respect of Paul's authority on Timothy's part. Paul didn't have to command him or beg him or you know, yell at him or whatever. He said, man, listen, I, I want to urge you to do this because they need to stay on the truth. And Timothy just did it. The very first believers were still alive and already they were looking for some newfangled way of looking at Christianity as though the Savior of the world coming to die for the sins of mankind was becoming boring already. The belief of Gnosticism had become rampant in the first century church, including here in the city of Ephesus. That's the belief that the spirit is good while the body and the material world are evil. And this leads to all kinds of weird and unbiblical and unchristian beliefs, as well as shameful and in some cases really ridiculous practices. There were still pockets of Jews insisting that pagans become Jewish, before, before they became a part of the Christian church, as though the Jews had some kind of right to decide how Christianity was going to go. But these aren't the problems of our church, are they? Why is this important to us? Folks, it's imperative that we continue preaching and teaching and clinging to the gospel as it is portrayed in the Bible, God's word. When we somehow lose sight of the weight and the depth of the gospel, we open ourselves up to believing all kinds of crazy things that are not from God, but may look a lot like God. That's why sometimes when I pray, you'll hear me say the words, God, help us never get over this. Help us never get over this. Now, if you're one of those people who comes to Fellowship of Grace and you say, holy cow, it seems like every sermon is the same. I mean, Michael, all he does is put a little different package on the same thing. Every, I mean, all we talk about every week is the gospel. All we talk about every week is how Jesus died for us. Yeah. Now, it's not the same sermon, uh, trust me. Uh, and now that you can save all the notes, you'll see that it's not. But folks, there is a common thread, and it's a thread that's so important we should never get away from it. That's also why it's important not to listen to every preacher that comes on your television or your radio. Listen, just because you have it on a Christian station doesn't mean that everybody who comes on there is teaching good biblical doctrine. It's also why it's important not to read every book that's in the Christian bookstore. I don't know if there's any Christian bookstore owners here. You know, I'm, I apologize up front. But listen, there was a time when Christian bookstores were owned by individual people or families, and they decided what they were going to carry. They decided what was going to be sold. They decided what was going to be pushed out of their store. But like many other things, that even the Christian bookstores now are, open by, are uh, owned by conglomerates, by big corporations, and frankly, They'll sell anything you'll buy. 
It's why you must participate in guarding your own heart, folks, from teaching and ideas that would look kind of right, but draw you away from Christ and his teaching. Anytime somebody comes out with a brand new take on the scriptures, run. Seriously. If somebody says, hey, I got a new way to interpret this passage, these eight verses, there's a new way to look at these. It's totally different than ever in history. Let me share with you how, listen, you need to just stop and go, I don't need to hear this. I'm getting out of here. Okay? There's not a single passage of scripture that the entire world has not understood until somebody today decides they figured it out. And by the way, this happens. (laughs) It happens. And honestly, some of these people are the people who write books, who speak at seminars, and occasionally are some of the most popular Christian speakers. Folks, there's nothing new under the sun. Even God's word says that. There are constantly new Christian trends, fads, whatever. I mean, really in our culture, which is very different than Christianity anywhere else in the world, In our culture, there are these fads and things that take place that people don't even recognize. Now, some of you may not be old enough to to remember this, but about 20 years ago, there was a book going around, The Prayer of Jabez. And everybody who read the book and prayed the prayer every day was going to get rich. And, And Christians, like, bought this thing up. They bought this thing up and they were carrying it with their Bible to church and they were praying this prayer every day. I don't know a single one of them who's rich today. But man, they bought it up. Now, I'm not saying, and I want you to understand this, I'm not saying that new approaches to reaching the lost are bad, but if it's a new message, you better run. Okay? I, I sometimes explain it like this. The gospel is the gift. And, and our church wraps it in a certain way with our music and our uh, stage and, and your pastor and our staff and your, you know, all this stuff. That's kind of how the message is wrapped up here. Now, you can go to another Bible-believing church down the road that has the exact same message, and it's wrapped in a completely different package. But the message is still exactly the same. So be careful that you don't think that, hey, people that sing different than us are bad people. No, 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 no. But if you go to some place that says, no, we interpret the gospel differently. We think when the Bible says Jesus came and died for everyone, everyone's in. That's not a different package, folks. That's a different message. As pastors, we have to accept the responsibility to protect the congregation from these fads that would lead you astray. Why would we do this? Why would we keep our heresy meters going all the time, listening for things, hearing things? Why wouldn't we just let you all be adults and guard yourselves? Well, Paul tells us why. He says, protect the truth out of love. Protect the truth out of love. Look at the motivation for protecting the truth. He says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Then he gives you the opposite. Certain persons 
by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Because we love you and because we care about your spiritual life and we, we care about the outcome of true Christianity, which is love, we do these things. Listen, when you wander away from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith, you open yourselves up to swerving farther and farther and farther from the truth. I don't know if you've ever seen a car or driven behind a car whose wheels have become slightly out of alignment. You'll see them, you know, they kind of shake and, and, and if you keep watching them long enough, they'll just shake more and more and more. I remember when we were in Haiti, we got behind this truck that literally looked like a clown car because it was like, you know, like this. And they were just driving down the road and literally the wheels were, I don't know, they were out of, so out of whack. The thing was just shaking back and forth as they were driving down the road. And I, I really fully expected any time for a wheel to just come off. And what this word swerving means, it means, listen, if you don't stay on the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you don't stay on the truth and you just begin to swerve a little bit, you know what happens just naturally? You swerve more and more and more and more and more until you just lose your mind. Now, I've seen people actually go down this path before. I've seen people who, who say, well, I'm not sure about this one thing that the Bible says. I don't know that I like this one thing. This, one, this bothers me. I'm going to have to not accept this one thing. I mean, I'm a Christian, I believe the gospel, but this, I can't deal with this one thing. Here we go. And then, oh, there's more stuff I don't like. More stuff. And since, since I'm not liking those things, and that's working out for me pretty well, I'm just going to keep not liking more of it. And now, I'm going to become this whole other thing. And they just really kind of lose their minds. When you listen to, or you are constantly surrounded by false teaching folks, it sounds better and better, no matter how true it is, until finally your Christianity in your mind becomes a little unhinged. You begin to doubt everything. Somebody asked me this week, they said, Michael, do you ever have any doubts about your faith? Do you ever have any doubts about your Christianity? Do you ever go through a period of time where you go, man, I just wonder if all this stuff is real? I said, no, I don't. Now, I did. Early in my Christian faith, I, I had times of doubt. But what happens when you get old is, it's like, hey, God is now, in my life, God is 8,421 8, times he has come through for me when things are going haywire. Now, why would I bet against somebody who's come through 8,421 times? I mean, the odds are, He's going to come through 8,422 times. And so what happens is the more faithful you are and the longer that takes place, the less and less you begin to doubt. But folks, if you bring bad teaching, bad theology into your mind all the time, it's going to begin to affect how you think. But wait, Michael, isn't it good to be exposed to all kinds of teaching so that you can follow the one that you like best? <laughs> 
Folks, biblical Christianity, following Jesus is not like picking out a new car. Okay? I'll just, I'll just keep going from church to church and taking test drives until I find the one that suits me for now. That is no way to be a follower of Jesus. No way to be a follower of Jesus. Biblical Christianity is embracing the truth of the gospel because God has drawn us to him and then being transformed by it. It's having our desires and our thinking change by his spirit. It's not about us finding some church that conforms to us. It's about us committing ourselves to Christ, being involved in a biblical church where he transforms us from the inside out, not we transforming them. Now, this may sound like we're the only ones who know the truth. And I had this conversation with someone this week. We believe the Bible is fully and totally authoritative. It is without error. It is always right. Now, I'm, I'm not willing to give on that issue. What I am willing to give on is, as pastors at Fellowship of Grace, are we always 100% absolutely in tune with what God's word says? No, we're human beings. We can be wrong on some things. But we don't swing the pendulum and say, well, then we can't, we can't know anything. I know what do not lie means. I, I got it. I'm 100% sure. Okay, there are parts of God's word that we are, can be 100% sure on. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is one of them. God saw us in our sin. He saw that none of us were righteous. He saw that all of us deserved to be separated from him forever. Because he's holy. He can't allow our sinfulness to pollute who he is and where he's at. And so he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross willingly. And when he died on that cross, he gave us a way to his father. He gave us a way to God. And while man continues to try since the Tower of Babel has been trying to reach up to God... God reached down to us. And if we will just by faith put our faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross, we can have our lives transformed. God will save us. Jesus will forgive our sins. And we are safe in the arms of Jesus forever. Folks, that's the gospel. I am 100% sure about that. Now, if you want to talk about some symbolism about the second coming of Christ and you know, how all that's going to happen and what are all the signs and how it's going to be, what the order is of everything, I've got to be honest with you. I don't know everything. I don't know it all. I know some things, but I don't know it all. But that doesn't mean we throw away the gospel or we allow people to, to say crazy things to us that will lead us astray. Paul specifically talks about one group when he says the purpose of the law is to reveal lawlessness, it is not to achieve righteousness. Look in verses 8 through 11. He says, now we know that the law is good if, by the way, I wish that the Bible capitalized that word if, like sending a text. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. For the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, 
for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. By the way, if you look at that list and you see a sin that you say in your mind, oh yeah, give it to them, uh, make sure you see that liars was in that list. And I'll bet every single person in here sometime in their life has told an untruth. So he's talking about us. Here Paul begins dealing specifically specifically with the Judaizers who continued mixing Christianity with Judaism. Now that may not sound like such a big deal, but Paul tells Timothy and the church at Ephesus that the law is good if it is used for the right purpose. The law is not made for those seeking righteousness to use as a guide to live up to. You know why? Because you can't live up to it. It was never made for that purpose. It was meant to point out that our own lawlessness is in us so that we would turn to Christ in utter disgust of our own sinfulness. The purpose of the law has been the same from day one. We want to, God wants to show us wants to show us that we can't live up to his standards. He wants to make it so obvious that when Jesus comes on the scene, everyone would say, thank you, finally, a Savior to save us from ourselves. But men still missed it. We've had our own run-ins here at Fellowship of Grace, even with Judaizers. Even with Judaizers. Those who would want to mix the law in with biblical New Testament Christianity. There's a, a movement of people called the Hebrew Roots Movement. It's kind of like the charismatic movement was uh, uh, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Uh, there, are, there are charismatics in all kinds of denominations of churches, all kinds of churches. And the Hebrew Roots Movement are people that are part of all different churches. It's not a church in and of itself. We've had to deal with that here. People coming and saying that they embrace and believe in the grace that exists through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, while at the same time adhering to the Old Testament law and the feasts, the festivals, the customs, and the celebrations and the worship of Old Testament Judaism. Folks, if you were here for our study through the book of Acts, you saw that the early church dealt with this argument. Do we stay with law or do we move to grace? Is there any way we can mix the two? No. They are the opposite. They are the opposite. What I mean by that is, folks, if you want to try and live up to the standard of the law, you've basically discounted grace. You've discounted it. And, and when... We receive grace, God's undeserved merit. When he gives us love, even though we don't deserve it, it's not, it's not a, a means of salvation that we have to live up to some law standard. What Paul's saying here is, Timothy, tell these folks at Ephesus that the same faith that saved them will keep them, and it doesn't need any improvement. It doesn't need any improvement. 
Now, we as pastors here at Fellowship of Grace, we're going to do our best to protect the truth being taught in our congregation, in our community groups, and in our core groups. That's one of the reasons why when people come to Fellowship of Grace and they say, hey, uh, pastor, I was in uh, this church over here. Let's say, let's pick one. Uh, hope I don't get in trouble. Uh, let's pick Antioch Bible Baptist Church, which is a great and awesome church over in Gladstone. I know the pastor. I've known him for 25 years. Good man, good church, solid people. Let's say they come from there and they say, hey, I, I'm, I moved over here to Parkville and, and I was a leader over there and I, I want to lead a community group and I want to lead a core group. When can I start? You know what we'll say to them? Well, why don't you just come and be a member first? Why don't you just come out and hang out with us? Why don't you let us get to know you a little bit? Because I have no idea. Now, I might call that pastor and check on them, but I have no idea who they really are or what they're really going to believe or what they're going to teach. We are very careful about putting people in responsible positions to teach God's word to others that we have confidence in their understanding. Oh, they may not be uh, uh, PhDs in biblical philosophy or, or, or Old Testament history, but neither am I. But you can still know God's word. You can still know enough to share the gospel with people. But folks, it's not just up to us. You need to do your best to protect yourselves I'm telling you, any single time that you hear, hey, here's a brand new take on Christianity, you, you just got to turn off the television. You got to turn off the radio. You got to throw that book away. And if you maybe are, are just more curious, come to us, bring it to us. Say, hey, this is what was said. Can you share with me from God's word how this is either true or not true? We'd be glad to do that and to sit down and help you do that if you can't figure that out. Folks, Christianity is not new. It is just not new. Salvation is not new. Following Jesus is new every morning. But the concepts and the truth are not a new idea. And Paul is saying, Timothy, among all the things that I'm going to write to you about the church in Ephesus, because I got a lot of problems, here's the most important thing. You make sure and protect the truth and make sure that nothing but the truth of God's word is being taught. Again, there's a distinction between a new application of the same gospel or a brand new gospel. They're very, very different things. I hope this will cause you to maybe think about the things you listen to, the things you read. Uh, be be wise, um, be discerning. And by the way, for those of you who have given your lives to Christ, who uh, have, have been following Jesus for some time, when, some, when you hear something, you just go, that's, that's kind of weird. That's, man, that kind of lands on me kind of funny. That's usually your heresy meter going off. Okay? That's usually your heresy meter going off. And so pay attention. Don't just keep, don't go, hey, no biggie though. I'll be all right. Listen, be careful. The enemy is crafty. He's very, very crafty. If he came to us, if Satan, his, his uh, demonic forces came to us with something that seemed so outlandish and bizarre that we would just go, oh, that's ridiculous. 
You know, I'm not going to do that. That's crazy. We would never fall for it. But he's craftier than that. He's craftier than that. He brings something that looks kind of right, that sounds kind of right. Like the Unity School of Christianity. Sounds kind of right. Take a look at their website, see what they believe. They're kind of not right. In fact, they're kind of all wrong. And there's nothing Christian about them. And I'm not afraid to say that, folks, because they say what they believe. It's real clear, and it contradicts God's word. Be careful. Be careful. There are a lot of good Bible-believing churches in our city, in our country, in our world, but there are also an awful lot of wolves in sheep's clothing that kind of look good. We want to help protect the truth here at Fog. We want to help protect the truth in your life, but you've got to help us. Let us know when, things, when your heresy meter goes off. Let us know. Let's sit down. Let's work it out together. Let's figure it out. But folks, it is important that we don't fill our minds with bad teaching. It's important we don't fill our minds with bad books, bad television, bad radio. And I'm not talking about worldly stuff. I'm just talking about bad teaching from people who seem to be Christians. So let's be cautious. Let's be cautious. Every sermon is not the same but the gospel you hear preached, I pray to God, will be the same until this church dies in 150 or 250 years. Let's pray. Father, we come to the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing here. We thank you for your word that helps us to know many things in a very clear way. Father, thank you for the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that he loved us and died for us, and gave his life to us, and for us. Father, thank you that that is crystal clear. Lord, we pray as we study, as we follow you, that we will be clear on more things, that your word will teach us and guide us, that we will become uh, more like your son in both the way we think and the way we live. God, help us to protect the truth. Help us to protect what is real and what is true here. Help us never waver off the truth. And God, if we begin to waver, we beg you, we beg you, we beg you. Do something in our lives. We invite you. We beg you to do something in our lives that will knock us back on the straight and narrow, that will keep us from wavering. God, help us as a, a, a group of Christians to watch over each other to watch over our friends and neighbors who are Christians, to help guide them and instruct them. Help us to do that always in love, always because we are motivated by the love of your word and by the love in us. But God, help us to protect your word and protect the truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.